Hey there. Welcome to ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Kevin Chenard. Today I wanted to bring you something of a best of training camp week episode from the Hawks. I think there were a lot of interesting questions and issues that arose, uh, talking about things on the court, off the court, all sorts of stuff. We even got to talk to general manager Travis Schlenk, and that's the best place to start. In his opening press conference, I wanted to ask him about the Warriors and their decision-making group, because when he was at Golden State, general manager Bob Myers, as well as others like Jerry West, Larry Riley, Kirk Lacob, they had a reputation as a group that made team decisions, collective decisions, and I wanted to know if that was a tradition that would carry on in Atlanta. Continuing on that, that idea of uh, Golden State traditions, one that I've seen written about was that you were part of a group that collectively made group decisions uh, with you and Bob Myers, Larry Riley, Kirk Lacob. Is that a tradition that you're going to carry on here? And if so, who's in the group? Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate. When I got here, there was a great staff already in place. Um, you know, those guys are still with us. And going through the draft process with them, you know, their organization, it, it was really, really, really strong. Uh, going through free agency, we were extremely prepared for free agency. Um, that group is uh, Jeff Peterson, who is our assistant general manager. He does a great job for us. Um, John Trelor, director of player personnel. Obviously, Coach Blumholzer, uh, Mike McGee, our director of um, basketball operations. You know, those are kind of our, our senior management group. And then we have younger guys that are also involved in the process. Another question I asked Schlenkt had to do with scouting. Uh, I have no doubt that Travis is going to be an excellent basketball decision maker with a great eye for talent and personnel, but at the same time, he can't do all of it and be all places uh, at the same time. So I wanted to know a little bit about the scouting department because that's one of the things that's hard to get a feel for is the depth and breadth that a team has with regard to scouting. How many people do they have in how many places? Uh, so I asked him about that. One of the announcements since the last time we got to speak with you is that you hired Rod Higgins as a scout. Yes, sir. And we don't, I mean, it's hard to even ask this question because we don't know the level or the depth of the scouting, but when you got here and assessed that sort of thing, what was your reaction and do things stay the same? Do they change? No, so we, we did bring in a few people, um, people that I knew. Rod is a gentleman in that I worked with all the way back in Golden State. He was a general manager there when uh, I was a back row assistant coach. Uh, obviously, he's been the general manager in Charlotte. Uh, he still lives in the Charlotte area. Uh, you know, He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience. Um, I, I'm very comfortable to the staff that we have here, um, but I thought that you know bringing in somebody with a little more experience could be useful for us. Okay, on to some of the players. Rookie Tyler Dorsey was initially listed on a preliminary roster for Greece to play internationally in Eurobasket this summer. That didn't pan out. I know I was looking forward to seeing him play, and I bet he was probably hoping to play too. So I asked him uh, how it came about that he didn't play. So this summer, how did you come to the decision whether to play or not to play in Greece? I, evidently, you didn't play, right? Is that yeah. fair to say? How did you get to that? My ankle wasn't 
Oh, okay. Well enough or better to since summer league to go out there and play. So I definitely wanted to stay around, be in front of the coaches because I didn't do, I didn't get to show much during summer league. So I wanted to be here in Atlanta, get adjusted faster. So my ankle wasn't ready, and that, that's all it came down to. Um, but no issues with the ankle now. No ankle's been Feels 100%. Great. Been playing all summer for months now. So. I have to say that Media Day is an inspiration. Uh, it's fun to have lifestyle reporters and general sports reporters and people that don't know the team that well come in and ask general questions like, are you married? What do you do when you're away from the court? And some things that have nothing to do with basketball. Uh, Tyler mentioned that when he's not playing basketball, one of the things that he does is he plays a lot of video games and unlike some other players like Torian Prince, who I think is fairly out about you know what his gamer tag is and where he is online and when he's going to be online. I think Tyler's a little bit more of a skulker, kind of doesn't let you know that you're you're playing NBA 2K against an NBA player. They might not know, but I'm out there playing a lot online or whatever, and um, that's a, that's pretty much what I, a lot of time I spend on that. <laughs> so I'm not a player myself, but I know that the NBA 2K ratings got a lot of attention this summer. What do you think of your rating? I don't even know what it is, but when you see it, what did you think? It's kind of low, but uh, so I know that to, to make improvements every year, but uh, I feel like it's kind of low. Do they change them like month to month, or do they wait like whole seasons? I think if you update it, I think they change it during the season, like depending on how you're playing or how you're doing, your overall might go up or down. So I think they change it. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, man. Thank you. I don't think there's a player on the Hawks or maybe in the NBA at large who's as proud of their hometown as Malcolm Delaney is of Baltimore. So when I asked him who were his role models when he was on the path to becoming an NBA player, he went straight to some of his favorite Baltimore players. When you were early in your career, was there were there some older players who were good role models for you? Um, I always looked up to like Melo, uh, Sam Cassell, even like Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay is not much older than me, but somebody career I followed. Uh, I love Allen Iverson growing up. And definitely Jordan is the you know the biggest influence on everything. Uh, but you know just like Melo and Sam Cassell with the guys. I mean Muggsy Bogues too. Uh, sorry for that, but they came from my city. Uh, they kind of paved the way for us. Uh, being you know Muggsy was the smallest guy in the NBA. Uh, went lottery. Uh, came from the projects. It was just like he's the typical like the ideal Baltimore story for an inner city kid making it to the NBA. And, uh, just following footsteps of guys like that. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, that's all I heard stories about with those guys. And once I started looking into it as I got older, it, it kind of just everything gelled together. It's Baltimore basketball stuff like that. So it was those are the guys that I really really looked up to. Would you? I haven't seen it yet, but what'd you think of that documentary? It's man, it's good. Because uh, I like I didn't know how deep the story went. You know, I grew up. It was always like oh, Dunbar. My father played against them guys like when he was in high school. So he used to always tell me how powerful that Dunbar culture was. But until I seen the documentary, I didn't really understand like 
like that made me want to go to that school. I, was, man, I wish I'd went to Dunbar. Like <laughs> after watching that, but it, it's pretty dope, man. It's, it's, it's nice for the city, for people to be able to see more than just the bad. You know, just to see a team like that with all those guys being successful was, was pretty dope. Awesome. There are a few guarantees in training camp week, right? Everybody's put on 10 pounds of muscle. Everybody's optimistic about the season. Everyone wants to play at a quicker pace. Team chemistry is great. I mean, it's all good. Everybody's saying the exact same thing. There's a lot of cliches. But for the Hawks, one phrase that got my ears perked up that I don't think was cliche, I think it was very much intentional, is you heard some murmurings about a new offense. And the first instance of those two words came from Kent Bazemore. Fast, very fast. We have a ton of athletes, uh, very good length uh, at all positions. Uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, today was Coach's uh, first time introducing the new offense. And, uh, we did pretty well, fared pretty well. You know, we got a lot of guys that you know, semi have been playing together for a little bit, you know, myself and Torian. And, uh, we worked a lot today on some uh, split action. So uh, Dennis being Dennis with all that space out there is going to be a uh, tough task to stop. Offensively, we just don't play. You know, it's, it's not a it's not a structured system as to where uh, we got to run certain things. It's you know, kind of us kind of playing, you know, reading, reacting, and moving around and cutting and slashing and uh, a lot of dunks, uh, a lot of three-point shots. So I'm excited about that. Bazemore also talked a bit about team chemistry. Uh, you know, Travis Link is a huge proponent of uh, team chemistry. Uh, from my days at Golden State, uh, that's what they always preached, and they did a good job of uh, getting guys in here, uh, you know, that, that, that preached that as well. And uh, We have this little common area room where we have, like, a pool table, a PlayStation uh, at the hotel. So uh, it's 10, 12, 15 guys in there at a time just laughing, talking junk, you know, joking, hanging out, and uh, spending a lot of time together. And, I mean, that's what you need in this league, you know, and, you go on the court, you're playing against someone else, you're playing as a, as a band, as a brotherhood, and uh, it just makes it more fun that way. Bazemore also said that the most successful billiards player up to that point in the week was Malcolm Delaney. I want to take a minute to ask you to do a little bit of homework, if that would be okay. I'm not quite sure what this Hawks team is going to look like. I'm not sure anybody is. I know that today they put a picture on their Twitter account. It came from the end of day three of camp, right before it closed. And it looked like five players huddled around Budenholzer, all wearing the same shade of practice jersey. I think they were in the dark jerseys. And it looked to be Dennis Schroeder, Kent Bazemore, Torian Prince, Ursan Ilyasova, and Dwayne Dedman. What I want to know from you is this. Who do you think should be the Hawks' starting five this season? Or if you follow a different team, who do you think should be the starting five for your team? I want you to go to www.atlan29.com. That's A-T-L-A-N-D-2-9.com. And go into the comments section for this podcast, for this episode of this podcast, episode 37, and tell me what you think. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. In his opening press conference, Mike Budenholzer was asked about having Marco Bellinelli added to his roster this year, and I thought he was particularly effusive uh, by Budenholzer standards. 
What do you expect uh, Marco's role being, and uh, what do you expect from him overall? Yeah, we were very excited about having Marco Bellinelli. Um, it's, he's like one of those guys that, at least me personally, I've always wanted to coach and wanted to have on a, a team that I was with. And he and I have kind of laughed, and we finally have it happen. So, um, just you know, I think his role, um, you know, particularly as an offensive player. Um, and I, I think he's unique in how he can score, how he can play pick and roll, but the way he moves off the ball, his cutting, his slashing, his IQ, um, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I think it's unique. And, you know, we've always had a lot of success with, um, you know, European players and maybe a little bit of a European type style of play. And uh, there's nobody that knows or understands that better than Marco. And so um, I think it's a great fit. And just very excited about having him uh, with our group. I just want you to know that I failed all of you on media day. I went in with a list of like 14 different questions for Nico Brusino. I had all sorts of things that I wanted to know about him, all kinds of questions. And I completely failed because I've never mastered a language other than the English language. And, you know, he knows all sorts of Spanish and a little bit of English. And I don't know any Spanish or anything for that matter because I'm a big idiot. So, our interview was kept very short. Uh, I did get to ask him, him being of Argentinian origin and a young kid who was uh, growing up watching uh, the older Argentinian players in their golden generation. And I asked him who was his favorite and he said Manu Ginobili. If you watch him play at all, I don't think that's going to be a shock. Uh, he is both creative and a little bit reckless, which I think is uh, a good way to describe Manu. He just needs a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball. One other question I asked him was how tall he is. I admire him as we have a similar position and I always try to copy his movement. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, how tall are you? How many centimeters? Six eight. Six eight? You didn't grow any taller? <laughs> no? No. And how big is your wingspan? I don't know. Did they get measured? No. no. That first voice you heard was that of Annabelle Padilla, who works for the Hawks. And she was brought in as sort of an improvisational uh, last-minute translator. And even with the translator, I kind of fell all over my own words. I was nervous as to how it would translate from English to Spanish and if it would make any sense. And then I was a wreck in my own head. But I promise that I will be the number one English language source of all news Nico Brusino this season. If you could have only seen me pantomime the word wingspan. As soon as I tweeted that Brusino said he was six foot eight. Brad Rowland of Peachtree Hoops and a couple of people from some Argentinian blogs immediately said, no, he's taller uh, based on some scouting results. And, you know, just in the case of Brad and me looking at some pictures of him standing next to John Collins, he looks very, very tall. But he says he's six foot eight, so we're going to roll with that. Speaking of young basketball players coming to the United States to play in the NBA, Ursan Ilyasova may have been an even more dramatic case over a decade ago than Nico Brusino is now. The Bucks drafted him in 2005 when he was an 18-year-old. A year later, he came over, you know, knowing essentially three English words. Not only 
did he play for the Bucks that season, but he also had to shuttle back and forth between Tulsa. Like much of the Hawks roster this season, Ilyasova at one point played in the D-League. Uh, the Bucks sent him to Tulsa where he played a bunch of games. And I asked him about the culture shock, not just coming to the United States, but being in two cities that are seemingly so different. I know that you mentioned it was hard to to make the transition from Turkey to the United States. Was it hard when you went to the D-League too? Because Milwaukee and Tulsa are, are very different parts of the United States. Was was the learning the language tougher when you make that switch? Or? Yeah, I mean, my biggest challenge was like, uh, I would say language. Uh, and uh, for some reason, like when you come from, you know, different country, and, uh, everybody think like you, you have to know English kind of, you know, thing. And, like when they ask me like, oh, like, do you speak English? When I said no, they're like, oh, really? Like, how come? You know? I mean, I try to just explain, you know, all countries, they like their own language, you know. It's not like mandatory. And like, I mean, we do have kind of English in school, but it's kind of second language. But uh, even be part with like a professional basketball team, like in Turkey, like we have a lot of international players as well who kind of, you know, try to do like, you know, talk in English. But... Uh, back then, like, you know, obviously for me, just kind of come and uh, be kind of part of the NBA and uh, especially the locker room language, man, it's not, it's not really close to English back then, you know, I mean, those guys like talking like really kind of different language, you know, when I was talking to them, it, it will take time, you know, obviously take a lot of you know, classes and uh, uh, I think the biggest thing helped me just kind of watching a lot of movies with the subtitles and will help you a lot as far as just kind of... Uh, uh, yeah, like, like you said, but when you, you know, in the United States, it doesn't really matter where you go, the, the city-wise, because it's kind of uh, pretty much the same. Uh, obviously, Milwaukee, Tulsa, two different, you know, uh, cities, but it's pretty much the same as far as just kind of culture, you know, food. Uh, other than that, you know, I have some people who was helping me around a little bit, you know, my agent, and uh, it was tough in the beginning, but as soon as you get that rhythm and adjust yourself, you know, it, it's good, it's enough. Ilyasova was an interesting player for the Hawks last season. They acquired him uh, before the trade deadline and kind of force-fed him some minutes in a three-person big-man rotation with him, Paul Millsap, and Dwight Howard. And you know they, the Hawks essentially used two looks going down the stretch. It was either Millsap Ilyasova or Millsap Howard. And quite frankly, at the end of the season, I think Ilyasova Millsap was a better combination. It allowed them to do a lot in terms of switching more and more this league is about how well you can contain different offensive actions through switching negate pick and rolls and things of that nature the hawks did it pretty well with Ilyasova, but they weren't the only team to try it uh, when asked what he worked on this offseason he talked about some offensive stuff that he did to counter when other teams play switching defenses uh, I think like, the off season is one of those things where you always have to improve on your game, and uh, you know I always uh, usually I spend you know somewhere with the national team, but unfortunately I couldn't go this year, and, and uh, I just work on my game and you know inside like more the post up game, and uh, you know the thing I noticed in the last year the pick and roll game when you know people switch they could be smaller than me, so I try to be kind of you know make an adjustment and you know try to get punishment and you know bring on the post. How did you come to that decision? I was going to ask you about that. How did you make your decision this summer to play for Turkey or not to play? Uh, you know, the thing is, like, with all this, you know, the, when you look at the last year, you know, be traded three times, and 
uh, I was, you know, kind of thinking about this summer, like what's the next, you know, will be, and obviously, you know, when I was signed with uh, uh, with Alana Hawks for, you know, one year deal, and I was, you know, things went in consideration, obviously, with my family and everything. Uh, you know, biggest thing to come with it, you know, because the international games, it's even the, the end like a couple of weeks ago, so. And you know you kind of have to prepare yourself for the you know upcoming season. And, uh, obviously, it's a lot of things come with it, injuries, you know, and everything. But you know, being me signed, you know, for one year deal, only kind of I have to kind of you know put everything in consideration. It's not just about me; it's my family as well. So, and you know, I was kind of you know, taking the time and just to myself and you know kind of get rest and improve myself just in the upcoming season. Thank you very much. And last but not least, Dennis Schroeder posted a picture of his car on Instagram this week. Can I ask you about your car for a second? You put that picture on Instagram. How did, how did that design come about? That's a crazy design. Did you make that at all? Or somebody else come to come my, to you with that? My, my car guy is a little crazy. So every <laughs> four or five months, he's telling me, you got to change it, you know. And um, he had a nice idea. I seen it. He sent me a picture of it, 3D. And, uh, I was like, yeah, it looks kind of dope. And uh, I did it.